Diwali is a festival of new beginnings and the triumph of good over evil and light over darkness. Think of it like the triumph of these books over doom scrolling on social media. Today, as many parts of Dubai are lit up by Diwali decorations for the Festival of Light, we are talking about the books that have lit up our autumn. I'm Andrea, and this is the Boundless Book Club from the Emirates Literature Foundation. With me today, I've got Tamriz Imam, our Head of Programming for the Emirates Lit Fest, and we will be joined later by New York Times best-selling author, Alka Joshi. First, I have a question for you, Tamriz. What unites the books we're talking about? You know, so when we started talking about books that would fit this festive, fun, Diwali theme, we wanted books from India. And somehow we both ended up choosing books that were, you know, based in the 1950s. So, you know, we're talking about the henna artist, as you just mentioned, which is which starts off in post-partition 1950s India. And uh, then the other book I wanted to talk about today is A Suitable Boy, which again sort of really just captures the essence of that era. And Andrea, what's your third book, the one that you're mentioning today? Yes, so when it's my turn, I'm going to be talking about The Dying Day by Basim Khan, but I think we should start with A Suitable Boy. Okay, so I mean... The suit, uh, a suitable boy was sort of it was brought back into the limelight last year when that Netflix series came out and everybody was just you know in awe of it. The sets were beautiful, Dabu and Ishan Khatter's acting was wonderful. I'd actually read it many many years ago. It was a birthday present from a friend for my twentieth birthday, and I'd spent one amazing summer just immersed in this book. And for those who don't know it, it's set in 1950s, in the 1950s in India, very early 1950s, so just after independence. And it's, it really captures the spirit of the times. It's this 14, 1500-page tome. <laughs> so this massive sort of family saga, romance. The key protagonist is Lata. And, you know, there are three men in love with her and these families. But also, you know, it talks about the land reform bill that's being passed in parliament, communal divisions, and this sort of tension between tradition and modernity because you've got the younger generation who want to move with the times and they're caught up in the spirit of this new country and breaking old traditions and a break from the past and then you've got these you know the older generation who really want to hold on to everything that's you know very very traditional so so you know all of this stuff just makes this really really fascinating book and it's just one of my all-time favorite books by an Indian author. So I thought it'd be, you know, it would be great to mention it today. It's so lovely. And I have to ask you, without any spoilers, because you mentioned there are three men who are in love with her, and a, a central theme is really her choosing a, a wedding story, really, isn't it? And do you think she chooses right? You know, it somehow reminded me a lot of, like, sort of Austen novels. Yes. Because there's that kind of theme in Austen's books as well, right? Like all these suitors and the person that she chooses may not have been the most obvious choice sometimes. So it's, it's that kind of story. I, th- I think there is that element of surprise when she makes her choice. But yes, I won't say more. <laughs> okay. 
Excellent. Do you think, did you, I, I take it you watched the Netflix show, which was amazing. I did. I loved it. Did you think it did justice to the book? You know, like, I, I think everyone who is screen adaptation for what it was, and there wasn't too much comparison in my mind with the book. So I just, I just really enjoyed it. And I think the performances were so strong. Cool. Should we talk about The Dying Day? Yes, please. I really, I've been wanting to read this book. I've heard it is Vaseem Khan's strongest book by far and really, really good. So I, I really want to know about it. My book is called The Dying Day and it's by Vaseem Khan, who famously wrote for 20 years before he was published, which rather endears him to me. He is a British writer of Indian descent and then he went to India and he spent like 10 years working there in the corporate world, which inspired him to start writing. In particular, I think he wanted to capture like the hustle and the, the feeling of being an Indian, the, even like the flavor and the scent of it. And that really comes through in his books, which is really amazing. And the, the Dying Day does all that. But in a way, I feel like it's even better because it gives you a scent and a taste of India in the 1950s. And we have this wonderful protagonist who is India's first female police officer, which mm. I think in itself is quite a, a tough thing for her to navigate, quite aside from the, the mystery that's at the centre of this book. And she is this really interesting character who's not immediately likeable. She's quite contrary and socially awkward. And she's fairly fed up with being underestimated, treated like a novelty by people. And that's great. You know, I think a lot of women can still kind of recognize some of that, depending on where they work today. And the, at the heart of the story is a mystery. It, there's a priceless manuscript of Dante's Divine Comedy that goes missing from the Bombay Royal Asiatic Society. And the society's head curator also goes missing. So it looks fairly straightforward on the surface until she starts finding these clues that she's thinking, well, if he's stolen the book, why would he leave us these clues? And it's very cryptic. And then there's, there's just a side bit to anchor it into the world. Apparently Mussolini has offered to buy this book for a million pounds, which just is <laughs> fantastic. So, so that, you know, this book going missing could become an international scandal. And then there are a series of murders, these cryptic clues that leads her into this heart of this dark conspiracy. And I don't think I can say anymore without giving anything away. That sounds fabulous, like book crime. And yes. Mussolini and like all of this thrown in in 1950s India with the first ever female police officer. It's just brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And you do not have to read the first book in that series, which is the Midnight at Malabar House. You can read this as a standalone and it's delightful. Oh, okay. And if you like mysteries with like a vintage atmosphere, building suspense, and you, you get like real history without ever feeling like you're lectured to or like it's educational. It's, it's like <laughs> you're learning by osmosis. Then this is a great book. It, it sounds wonderful. So yes, I hope you will read it. But now, should we move on to next book on our lineup for today, The Henna Artist? Can you tell us what that is about before we speak to Alka? Yes. Oh, I loved 
the henna artist. I just enjoyed it so much. It's this perfectly, deliciously escapist read. It it's set, like we said, in 1950s India in Jaipur. And again, as the name of the book suggests, it's about this woman who is a henna artist. And she goes into the bedrooms of all these society bigums and, you know, paints henna on their hands and feet, but also sometimes on their backs and stomachs and, you know, like, um, you know, midriffs. And so she does all these like designs. And, and as she does that, she navigates this world of intrigue and politics and gossip but she's always very professional. And then in her life enters this 13-year-old girl, her sister, and everything turns on its head. And it's just such a fast-paced book. It's got a really strong plot, a really amazing, really interesting cast of characters. It has a real sense of place and time. You know, it takes you into the Rajasthani palaces and the palace intrigues and, and all the customs and traditions of India. And at the same time, it doesn't feel exotic. You know, it's it's not written in this way where you feel like the book is sort of fetishizing or exoticizing this past. Um, it's really authentic. It feels really current. The story is really interesting. So I, I loved it. I'm reading the second book in the series now, The Secret Keeper of Jaipur. And so, yeah, I'm so excited that we're going to be speaking to Alka Joshi later in the podcast today. Actually, should we just bring her in right now? Let's do it. We are so excited to be joined by Alka Joshi, New York Times bestselling author. And I think the henna artist was also one of Reese Witherspoon's book club picks. And now Miramax is serializing it for Netflix, which is so exciting. So I just want to start by asking if you've been involved in the page to screen process? I have not. I talked this over with my screen management agency. And what they said was, you know, Alka, it makes it harder when the author wants to write the screenplay for the production company to find the, the money the financing. It's usually a little complicated because when the author is involved, they're often very wedded to their words and they don't want things to change. And of course, I know things are going to change. You know, uh, this is a novel that I've written. There's a lot of interior dialogue with the author, with the uh, protagonist and they're thinking things all the time in their head. And so I understand that in order to convert this to the screen, they're going to have to bring in other characters who are talking. They're going to have to bring in, uh, you know, dialogue that wasn't in the book. They're going to have to bring in maybe an additional scene here and there. And so um, I said, you know, I'm a big girl. I can handle it if somebody else <laughs> decides to write this themselves. And so Michael Edelstein, the executive producer who initially read The Henna Artist and said, oh, we could turn this into an Indian Downton Abbey. This could be really gorgeous. And and uh, just, you know, put a lot of care and feeding uh, uh, into these episodes. I made him promise. I said, please make sure that the writer's room is filled with South Asian women. I said, this is really important to me because I think that too often our South Asian stories are told by the other they're told by the people who have actually either colonized us or have been in power. And I think that it's really important for a story like this that really involves 99% South Asian 
uh, characters to be written by South Asians. And he totally agreed. And uh, Frida Pinto, who is going to star as Lakshmi, who is part of the production team, also agreed. And so they found a showrunner who was South Asian. And, and then he put the writer's room together. And I met with them last week when I was in Paris. I got a chance to zoom in with uh, the writer's room, newly newly put together. And uh, it was wonderful to see all those South Asian women. Uh, the majority of the writer's room is women and South Asian. That's, I that's love cool. that. You know, I'm at an age now where I feel very comfortable saying, this is what I want. This is what I believe in. This is what I want to have. This is what I want to see. This is what I want to have produced. And I can say it in a way that isn't inflammatory. I can say it in a way that says, you know, this makes the most sense. And the audience will recognize the authenticity of the writing if we have those kinds of people writing it. I think I can say these things at the age of 63 in a way that I could not when I was 20, in a way that I could not when I was 30 or 40. I can only say these things because I have the experience of time and, and just being in the world and having worked in the corporate world and just knowing how I can say these things so other people can hear them. I, can, I completely get that. I imagine for a lot of writers, the appeal in that would be quite an emotional one. But if you bring your corporate experience, you can actually make a really solid financial argument for making it work. Thank you. And we know money talks, right? We know that, you know, everybody's in the business to make money. The publishing world is in the business to make money. Yes, they want to put out good books, but they also want to make sure that they get a return on their investment. Same thing with movie people and TV people. They want to return on their money. So one of the things that I think has been key uh, talking about this Netflix uh, project, uh, this adaptation of the henna artist has been uh, to make this a global product, to not just have this be something that is for the South Asian audience. And this is exactly the way my publisher treated it too. They said, we're going to introduce this in the US and Canada first, just like the movie people said. Because once you make it into the US-Canada market, if you're successful in that market, you will be successful in all markets. That is the eye, that's the lens through which everyone looks. Um, so I have been really lucky to have people who saw this as a global product, both as a book and then as a screen adaptation. And I think that's been key because you know what, you guys, ultimately what I really want is for the world to see this beautiful, rich heritage that I come from, from India. I want them to see it in the 1950s. In the second book, I want them to see it in the 1960s. And in the third book, I want them to see it in the 1970s. I want the world to see how much India has contributed to the world. Do you know what I mean? Like in a way that I don't think the world appreciates South Asia completely, I want them to appreciate South Asia. Our cultures in South Asia are such an ancient and rich culture. That's what I write about. And that's what I want other people to appreciate. I have a question on that. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. But I wanted to ask about the, the process. And I appreciate that. I think you've said that it took you 30 drafts to finish The Hen Artist. And I love that because that takes the pressure off the first draft. But was it really difficult to write about a time and a place that you don't fully belong to, that you have to keep alive in your imagination as you're writing it to not sort of lose that world that you're creating because your daily life is so different. 
Not at all, not even in the least. Because first of all, I have my parents who were married in 1955, which is when the book starts. Uh, they were alive before independence. My father was involved in the marches for Quit India. Uh, this was, you know, directed at the British, please quit India, please stop uh, being over us, we can run ourselves, thank you very much. And so my father would skip school to go to those marches. Um, my mother was, uh, you know, a young woman, she was in college at the time. Uh, and she remembers that area really well, she remembers being a young mother, being a young wife. Uh, and then raising all of us in um, five different cities before we moved to the United States. So all three of us were born in India and I didn't leave India until I was nine. So there's a huge part of India in the 1950s and, and early 60s that is in my DNA. That part will never leave me, right? Uh, and I grew up with two parents who cooked Indian food. So I've always grown up with those spices. I grew up with uh, a mother who always wore saris and wore her uh, dowry jewelry. And so I understand what that's all about. There's so much in our customs in South Asia. When we grow up in these families, they have uh, traditions that they continue regardless of where they end up, uh, what country they end up in and uh, immigrate to. So it wasn't difficult at all. I could just mine so much information from my father who is a living encyclopedia of uh, the history and the politics of the time. He totally remembers everybody who was in charge and what was going on. And my mother, of course, with all of the domestic stuff, you know, she knows, I said, mom, how do you make alu gobi sabji? Just tell me and then I can, I can talk about it in my book because I, I am not personally a very big cook myself. Uh, so those kinds of things were super easy. Then because Bollywood is a place that has always made so many movies, I was totally able to find a lot of movies that were made in the 1950s. And I found this charming movie made in 1955 called Mr. and Mrs. 55. And it was all about these two young people who are getting married and then apply for a divorce because the whole premise of the movie was India now has a divorce law and uh, Hindus you can go out and get divorced now you know it was always possible for Muslims but it wasn't possible for Hindus it totally became legal so this is why Lakshmi is in this book in 1955 and she is able to finally get a divorce she has been hiding her past, the estrangement from her husband, the desertion of her marriage for 13 years. And she is finally able to get a legal divorce and separate from him uh, completely. So that was all important. And I learned that from the film. And then I watched all these other, you know, charming films from that era, black and white. It informed me how people were uh, dressing, how they were reacting to one another, how men and women were interacting. And there are beautiful films by Satyajit Ray that took place in the 50s and 60s that are worth watching even today because they are so beautiful and they portray people as they really lived. And then the third thing I did was I read a lot of novels from that era. And believe me, there's a lot of Indian novelists who were writing in that era. So I was able to get a lot of good information about male-female relationships, family relationships, dowries, you know, what was happening at that time. So I had a wealth of resources that I could turn to. 
And then lastly, my father still speaks in Proverbs. So I was able to imbue the entire novel with this sort of play of Proverbs that Lakshmi and Samir and then Dr. Kumar also uh, have with one another, you know, that they're always playing off of these Proverbs. And I just thought it was so charming that my dad does that, that I, I thought, hey, why don't I just add that to the, to the novel? So it just lent this air of authenticity to everything. Yeah, speaking of authenticity, and earlier you also talked about having a writer's room that is filled of South Asian women when you bring this story to life for the screen. One of the conversations that's become so important now is around own voices. And your book, I think, did a really, really strong job of balancing having like mainstream commercial widespread appeal so it was you know it's the book doesn't feel like it's written for a very narrow audience but at the same time I, being you know, I'm Pakistani I've, I found it authentic as well and I think it was such a fine balance because you can have books that are very authentic but then they alienate a wide readership and then there are books that are written almost for a white gaze so to speak yes. when you were writing this book how was this a conscious decision was this actually a balancing act for you or did it come naturally were you aware of this in the background did you feel a sense of responsibility were there things in your writing that you thought about very very carefully you know the words to use the anecdotes the myths all of that stuff I'd love to know more I love this question I love this question um because First of all, I was writing a story where I could reimagine a life for my mother that she gets to live in fiction. And that is a life of a woman who runs away from her marriage and creates her own future, creates her own independence at a time when India is learning about its own independence and Pakistan is learning about its own independence as a nation and Bangladesh is also learning about its own independence as a nation. So, you know, all of these places are uh, coming alive. And uh, so I wanted to capture that exuberance that people were feeling at that time. Now, you know, it, a lot of people ask me if I was writing for the, you know, the global audience or a, an American audience. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just writing this story, imagining my mother in 1955, imagining her and what she would go around and do, how she would be, you know, interacting with the different women of different classes, because my mother is very, she was, uh, she's gone now, but uh, she was very diplomatic and she knew how to get along with a lot of different kinds of people. And she was charming and she was beautiful and she looks just like Lakshmi in, in the book. And I don't know if you can tell, but I have blue eyes. And so Nikki, in the book ends up with blue eyes and the Lakshmi and Radha that have green eyes. So I was just writing this book about my mom and I, and as I was writing it, these phrases that are commonly used in my family come to me like Bilkul and Zarur and, you know, Kyahauha and, you know, all of these kind of phrases that I have grown up with in my life. So I thought, why not just pepper the novel with all of this? Because it just seems natural as I'm writing it, that these phrases are coming to me. Why don't I just put them on the page. And then I think it was really important for me because I think authors have a responsibility to do this. For me, it was really important that we have a Muslim character in the book in Malik who gets along really well with the Hindu character, the protagonist. And 
for me, it was important that we model the behavior that we do see in this world and that we want to see more of in this world. I think that authors have this responsibility. I don't think many of them realize that they have it, but you know, we influence so many people in this world. And I want people to know that a lot of times when you go to India, you will see Muslims and Hindus owning businesses together, celebrating festivals together. You see them doing all kinds of uh, activities together. You see them making movies together all the time. I mean, you know, all of those, the top four, I think, actors in India are all Muslim, you know, the Shah Rukh Khans of this world. And so I just think that it's important for the world to know that this exists and that this is a behavior we would like to, of course, emulate and see more of rather than perpetuating beliefs that Hindus and Muslims can't get along. So that was a very conscious decision on my part. Another conscious decision on my part was to have the mother-in-law of Lakshmi be somebody who is kind and gentle and loves Lakshmi. I remember when we were- I love that, yeah. Yeah. It's really flipping that stereotype of the Indian mother-in-law, the sas bahu relationship, you know? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, I remember when uh, we were in India many times, my mother would be watching the soap operas. And I would say, mom, why are you watching these soap operas with these mother-in-laws who are like ruining the joint family? They're being really mean to them, but who, what is this all about? And so a mom said, oh, oh, hush, this is just television. But you see, I think once again, I also think that television has a responsibility. I think that when young people absorb these kinds of materials, I think they get a stereotypical idea of what those relationships are about. And I do think that the onus is upon an author to destroy those stereotypes and to show an alternate way of being. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely love that. That is, I, I agree with everything you've just said. And I think that's really important. There was something you said, though, I wanted to ask about how you said how you're using this language that's been in your family you've just grown up with. And I know you had a career in in PR and marketing before. And I wanted to ask you if you found it difficult to find your own voice after having such a long career writing in the corporate voice or the client's voice, or if that just came naturally to you. And I think maybe from what you've told us, it it just came. You know, my career actually started with advertising. So I did more advertising and marketing than PR. And what's beautiful about being a copywriter in large agencies like McCann Erickson, like BBDO, like Saatchi and Saatchi, I don't even know if they're around anymore. But being a copywriter means that you're constantly creating advertising and you're using your creative mind, what you know and what you experience to try to bring something to the screen that is going to help the the client sell the product or the service, right? So I'm not speaking in anybody's voice but mine. I'm just putting in the messages that the client needs me to put in these things in radio and TV spots. And so when it came time to writing, this was so interesting. When it came time to writing fiction, these scenes in my head just came to me so naturally when I started uh, writing The Henna Artist. I think the reason for that is because I have trained my brain to come up with 50 ideas for every project. First of all, I was still working to pay my bills, right? I was running my own advertising agency. And then even in the midst, I would get comments back from an editor and I would think, I can't deal with this right now. 
um, first of all, there's a big ego involved when other people give you feedback on your work, you know, your, your, you know, your heart kind of seizes up a little bit and you think, no, but that's my work. Don't say bad things about my work. And they're like, I'm not saying bad things about your work, but, but that's the way you're hearing it. You know, you're hearing like, oh, you hate it. You think it's crap. Ah." (laughs) But, but I think, that what's really wonderful is that I would take time off. I would take three months off. Sometimes I would take a week off. I would take sometimes a whole year off because I couldn't deal with it anymore. No more feedback, no more changes. I couldn't deal with it. But then you come back to it and you know what? You start reading your own manuscript and you think, hot damn, I'm a good writer. (laughs) (laughs) I can do this. So we're running out of time, but I have one last question before we let you go. Uh, The third book. So I I saw on your Instagram that you've been traveling and going to these perfume houses as research for your third book. That sounds fabulous. Is there a time frame in mind? When will the third book come out? So the third book will come out in early 2023. I think right around the time that maybe the Netflix series will either start filming or even start showing uh, episode one. And what's going to be great about that is, and why I've been traveling, is that Radha is a perfumer. Radha is the 13-year-old who is in the henna artist, the Lakshmi sister. She's a perfumer now in 1974 Paris. Now, I originally, (laughs) I originally put her in Paris because I thought, I want to go to Paris. I'm going to do research in Paris while I do this. Well, then the pandemic comes and I can't go anywhere. And so finally, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to go and I, uh, I had all these appointments lined up. I met with all these perfumers, big perfume houses. I also met with perfume compounders and uh, factories uh, or labs, you know, where, where it's actually produced. And one of the best things was that they, were, they all opened their doors to me. They all opened their hearts to me. And they taught me a lot about perfume. And guess what, Tamaris? So many of the ingredients come from our part of the world. They, they come from South Asia. So they come from, uh, you know, like the base notes and perfumes, the really heavy notes come from sandalwood. They come yeah. from vetiver. They come from tuberose. Uh, and they come from, uh, you know, South Asia. And I want the world to know that. So in the book number three, I'm making a huge point about the fact that these fragrances would not be the fragrances you know of today if it hadn't been for all of the ingredients that are coming from South Asia. So that's going to be book number three. Woo-hoo. So fun. <laughs> Arka, thank you so much for joining us. I think that all that remains for us to say is may the occasion of Diwali fill your life with prosperity and happiness. Absolutely. Um, but thank you so much for having me. This is lovely. And I love the Diwalit. I love that. That's very clever. <laughs> As an you. advertising thank person, I have to tell you that is super clever. <laughs> thank you. We were very pleased thank with you. it. <laughs> We'll be back in two weeks with books to make you go. <laughs> Want to share a recommendation? Send us an email or a social media comment. Details are in the show notes as always. To you and yours, a very happy Diwali.